0: The following audio is from Midtown Fellowship in Columbia, South Carolina. If you're interested in becoming a part of our extended family, visit MidtownColumbia.com partner. A sign is something that is not supposed to to get your attention for for itself, but it's always to point to something else, right? Something great. That's what a a sign is. A good sign is not something that draws so, so much attention to itself, but rather points your attention to something else. And what John is saying is that as Jesus came working his miracles, it was a sign revealing who he actually is. So every time Jesus comes in and heals somebody, check this out, here's what Jesus is doing. Every time he comes in and he heals somebody... He is taking what what was caused by the curse of sin and reversing it and causing it to be undone. And this is a sign that reveals who he is as the one who is coming to to relieve his people from the curse, to free his people from the curse of sin. Every time he healed someone who was blind, that person was was blind due to the, the, the curse of sin. All suffering, all pain, all sickness was caused because of sin. He's coming in and somebody whose eyes were not working, Right? Because of what sin has done, he comes in, touches them, speaks to them, whatever he does, all of a sudden their eyes work. Jesus is showing, hey, I I am the reversal of everything that went wrong in the curse. I, I am the undoing of all that went wrong because of sin every time he healed someone who was lame and their their legs now became whole. Their legs did not work, did not have strength. He came and touched them, restored their legs. Their legs now are made whole. He's saying, I am the one who causes creation to be whole again. I am the one that causes creation to work the way it was intended to work in the beginning. Every time he raised someone from the dead, he's given the world and all of creation a sign that as he said to Martha, Lazarus, his brother, before he raises Lazarus from the dead, in John 11, verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. He says, even the, even the, the maybe the worst part of the, of the curse of sin, death itself, I am the resurrection. I am the undoing of that. That's what I'm about. That's what I'm here to do. If you don't understand that about Jesus, you don't understand what Jesus actually came to do. He came to reverse the curse of sin. He says, I am the resurrection. I am the undoing, the reversing, the restoring of everything that sin messed up in creation. Sin has messed everything up and he has come to make it right again. And in case there were any doubts to his claim that he was the resurrection and the life, he predicted who was going to kill him and he predicted that he was going to be raised from the dead and then the very ones that he said were going to kill him actually did and then he showed himself alive Afterwards, a sign for all to see. I am the one who reverses the curse. I am the one who makes everything okay. It, it is in me. That is the essence of who I am. I am victorious over sin. He lived a life without sin, showing his victory over sin. He died, but then defeated death. Death itself was not strong enough to contain him or hold him down, as we just sang, because he is the undoing of all that is wrong with the world. He is the undoing of the curse. Jesus ascended into heaven and promised to return And he promised when he returns, he's no longer just going to give us signs that show that he is the undoing of everything that went wrong, but he's actually going to undo everything that went wrong. When he returns, he's not just going to be healing people here and there, but everybody who places faith in him, though they die, they will live. And everything that was wrong with them, whether it's physical illness, mental illness, any, any way that the curse has harmed his people, he is going to undo it for them forever, right? That's the end game of our God. That is what Jesus is about. It will be true what, what Isaiah 25 verse 8 says. He will swallow up death forever. The first time he came in, he raised a few people from the dead, which is, which is amazing and incredible. When he comes back, he will swallow up death forever. God's people will see death pass over their rising one last time and will never deal with it again when he comes and rescues us. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. For all of his people, every tear that's ever been cried because of suffering, because of anything that's ever gone wrong, because of everything that sin has broken. He said, I'm going to take it all away and my people will never know tears of sadness and mourning again. He is the undoing of the curse that came as a result of sin. Every aspect of sin's oppression of God's people will be removed forever when he comes back. What he initiated in his first coming with his death and resurrection, he will complete in his second coming. And in the meantime, he sends his Holy Spirit to us, which he said it's good that he goes so that he can send the Holy Spirit to us to continue that same work in us. So what Jesus did physically for people as as the physical brokenness of the world was undone as he was healing people, the Holy Spirit comes in and does that inside of us spiritually. So this curse that we see in Jeremiah... The cursed life, the Holy Spirit comes in to, to undo that in us. The Holy Spirit comes in to revive us spiritually, that we would know, flourish, and we would know what it is like to bear his fruit, no matter what the circumstances of our lives are. I'll read Jeremiah 17, just those five and six again, just to make one more point. Jeremiah 17, again, starting at verse 5. Thus says the Lord, cursed is the man whose trust is in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert. This is, what, this is what Jesus comes to undo. This is what his Holy Spirit is sent to us to undo in our lives. Verse 6, he's like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places in the wilderness, in an uninhabited salt land. This is the life of one who is enslaved to the curse of sin. Since oppression is, is dominating their life, dominating their experience, they're not prospering spiritually. Their life is dry. Their, their, their joy is dependent upon their joy, their peace is dependent upon whether or not uh, things in their life are going good or going bad. There's no real stability there. There's no supernatural, Holy Spirit led joy rooted in their lives. Continue in verse 7 and 8 Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out his roots by the stream and does not fear when the heat comes. For its leaves remain green, and it's not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. This is the life of one who is walking in freedom, in Holy Spirit power, empowered freedom from the curse of sin. Obviously, we don't walk in and experience a complete freedom from it. But at the same time, we do, we do understand we walk in the victory that Christ has claimed on our behalf. This person is not enslaved to sin because of, the Christ, because of Christ's victory that he offers, that we spiritually prosper and thrive now in him, the curse of sin no longer enslaves them. The Holy Spirit has begun to do this on a spiritual level again, what, God, what Jesus did on a physical level for those whom he miraculously healed. The Holy Spirit is, 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 is passionate about, I would say, producing his fruit in his people, if you were here last week, you might be like, "And this is the same sermon you preached last week? Seems like the same point. One of the things that I believe I've noticed that I think causes me um, probably almost as much grief as anything else uh, with uh, believers I've seen, um, definitely believers in our, in our church family as well, is that uh, we, at the, at the same time, we can simultaneously say, The Holy Spirit of God lives in me. The spirit of the one who raised Jesus from the dead. The spirit of the one who who created the heavens and the earth. The spirit of the one who who hung the stars. right Creator of the universe lives in me. We can can say that is true and understand that to be true. And at the same time, not expect any type of supernatural manifestation of his fruit in our lives. That That we can simultaneously... Believe this to be true, but, but have no expectation or no pursuit of, of this persistent, ongoing spiritual fruit in our lives. We, we don't expect to, to feel any type of power to walk in the victory that God has for us as his people. It's the same thing I talked about last week, and I, it's, I'm going to say it more this series. You'll hear it over and over again. It's as if the Holy Spirit is not real, as if, it's not, as if we have not received a helper that guides us and empowers us to live as God calls us to live. We don't expect and thus we don't pursue a life where we have a level of joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control that would literally be impossible for us to produce on our own. We don't expect it, so we don't pursue it. But Jesus came to undo the curse. He doesn't want us to live lives defeated by sin. He doesn't want us to live as shrubs in the desert as we grow in him. He wants us to walk in love instead of hate, joy instead of misery, patience instead of weariness, peace instead of turmoil, kindness instead of cruelty and maliciousness, goodness instead of immorality and corruption, faithfulness instead of hopelessness, gentleness instead of violence, Self-control instead of being enslaved to our desires. As we walk in step with the Holy Spirit, he produces his fruit in us, growing us in holiness so that God's people would shine his light in glorious ways and stand out from the world we live in in the way that shows off who our God is. The question then is how do we do this? Like, how do we actually pursue this? What does it look like to actually go after this intentionally, relentlessly? How do we pursue the type of life that our, our Lord calls us to? And how do we help others to pursue it as well? This is a very, very important question If this is how God calls us to live. It's also important because I think a lot of times we go about this wrong. We go about this incorrectly. If you're familiar with the, with the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, you may have noticed that the biggest enemy that Jesus had Was the Pharisees, most religious people uh, in the area, right? The ones who knew the Bible the most. They they were his biggest enemy. See, they they kind of reduced the Bible down to 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 just this list of rules for people to obey. So, and not only that, but they also add rules onto it and call people to obey the rules that they kind of added into the Scripture because they was like, this is what it really looks like to be holy. I don't know what your experience is. Maybe some of you grew up in churches where you heard uh, this type of practice uh, going on, where there's this adding of rules to the Bible. I remember uh, in church one time there was this. I don't know if this was everywhere. This was probably just in Chester. Uh, there was a time when I was a uh, probably like early teenager, and everybody was wearing like these um, baggy kind of button-up shirts that had the like long stripes going straight down, like these these uh, multicolored shirts. Uh, and so I, Thank you, Courtney. Uh, she said it's only Chester. I appreciate that. Uh, she. Yeah, anyway, uh, so uh, everybody, everybody was doing that. And then one of, the, uh, one of the kids in the youth group started doing that as well. And I heard a lady in the church was like, oh, no, don't be conformed to the image of this world. And it's like that you're being very unhelpful. That is not what the scripture, complete misinterpretation of scripture and thus enforcing something on people that is not God's word. Now, that said, I believe this was done in an intention to call God's people to live as God has called us to, but it was misinformed. Heard a pastor say one time that when he was growing up, uh, the, the older people in the church didn't let the younger, told the younger people they shouldn't go to the movies uh, because uh, I think it's Psalms chapter one says you should not sit in the seat of scoffers. Uh, so you can't, because scoffers you don't love Jesus obviously sat in that seat at some point, And so you can't sit in that seat because then you won't be living as God has called us to. This is a lack of understanding of scripture. Some of y'all too young don't know anything about that. Others, other ways this happens. Sometimes we like uh, in, in this in this goal to call God's people to holiness, to call God's people to, to stand out, to live in the way that the to to walk in step with the Spirit. We just at times we we go wrong. We've heard people say, "Well, if you listen to any music that's that's not talking about Jesus all the time, that's sin, right? If you're even walking a bar, that's sin." It's sinful, I've heard from, from some, some of y'all who come from maybe an a old-school holiness background. Sinful for, <laughs> sinful for women to wear makeup. Sinful, <laughs> sinful for women to wear pants. It's how it's described by some. These come from a misunderstanding of Scripture. But it comes, I believe, oftentimes from a truly, truly from a desire to call God's people to live in the holiness and walk in the way that he has called us to, but it's misinformed. Other ways we get this wrong. I was talking to a sister. She she told me that uh, she heard a a, a lady, I think actually a leader in the church, uh, say, well, you can't go to heaven. You smoke cigarettes. It's like, well, that ain't in the Bible. (laughs) Let me take it a little bit further. Something you may be more likely to hear. You call yourself a child of God and you had sex outside of marriage and you call yourself a Christian. You're not you're not a Christian. Right. You see what just happened there? There's a desire to call God's people to holiness, but instead you step over into what we call legalism, which is a, 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 an understanding of salvation where if my good outweighs my bad, then Jesus will love me and, I, and he will accept me, right? If I do more good things than I do bad things, then Jesus is going to accept me and let me in, right? Or, or if I just stay away from these really bad things, then Jesus will love me and accept me. This is a part, this is separate from the gospel of Jesus. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Paul says that if our salvation is based on our works at all, then we can boast and we can brag and we can put ourselves above others because we've achieved some level of moral superiority on our own. But he says that's not how salvation works. We're saved by God's grace. You can understand grace is God's unmerited favor, his favor that he just kindly gives to us even though we could not earn it no matter how hard we tried. The goal oftentimes was holiness, but what we got was legalism instead. I think oftentimes it's done with good intentions. Even though God tells us that we aren't saved by our works, oftentimes we hear this, this, this phrase or the phrase thrown out. It's like, and you, and you call yourself a Christian? Or and you think you're a Christian? And we stepped into legalism unintentionally. Oftentimes, what's happening here is, like I said earlier, the Bible is actually being reduced down to just a book of rules. And if that's what the Bible is about, then then really the only thing we have to talk about is whether or not you're obeying these rules and how good of a job you do at obeying these rules must determine how God loves you if the Bible is just a book of rules. But often, and I think in in, in my generation, what I see is this hatred for this legalism that we may have experienced from from older saints and older believers— his hatred for legalism, many rightly teaching that the Bible coaches us up on, that he wants us to have a relationship with him, that he shows grace, that he offers forgiveness for those who follow him, that we have freedom in Christ from these extra rules that people try to put on us that aren't actually biblical. So you have this kind of movement in the church that has this huge emphasis on Christ's love and acceptance, right? A huge movement, I feel like, in our, again, in my generation we will say things like, hey, we're not under Old Testament law anymore. God is love. Here's where it goes wrong. God knows my heart. Miss me with all that religion stuff. I'm just talking about having a relationship with God, right? Miss me with all that religion stuff, all all your rules, right? God forgives me. He knows my heart. Then after a while, in pursuit of this life of holiness, in pursuit of living in step with the spirit, it becomes, well, I mean, you know, it's not about rules. It's about relationship, Right? It's really not about rules, it's about relationship. And then it gets to the point where anytime you try to correct people or call people to live the way that God has called them to, anytime you try to call people to walk instead with the Spirit, well, God knows my heart, He has grace for me. And I'm like, yeah, He has grace for His people and He knows that your heart is strained for Him and from Him and that you need to repent. He knows that to be true about your heart. That is the case. For many of us in our, in our attempt, in our, in our hatred for legalism, in our hatred for um, this, this practice that we've seen maybe in the church of, trying to, of just reducing the Bible down to just a bunch of rules, and if you do a good job and you're a good Christian, if you don't do a good job, then you're a bad Christian, in, in our hatred for that, we've swung the pendulum way back too far on the other side, where it's like I hate any form of discipline. Our desire to correct legalism, is good, but our flesh, our sinful desires has pushed us to a point of saying, I don't want anything to do with rules or discipline I just want to do what I want to do, God is going to forgive me it's where I feel we often go, so we have, we have on one side this, this legalism this, this reducing the Bible down to just a book of rules and on the other side we have the reducing of the Bible down to, to a book that's just about God's acceptance of us as if he has nothing to say about how we live so we say stuff like yeah, I know it's not right, but that's how I do things. Yeah. I know it's not right, but that's just what I do. I like it. So in pursuit of this spiritually blessed life, where we're walking in step with the Spirit, bearing His fruit, thriving spiritually, we have some who reduce the Bible down to just a book of rules, and we have some who are overcorrecting against that and reducing the Bible down to something that doesn't have any rules, and God, a God who has no standard for holiness whatsoever. We are right to reject legalism. We are wrong to reject lordship. We are right to reject legalism. We are wrong to reject lordship. We are right to think grace is opposed to earning God's favor. We are wrong to think grace, God's grace towards us is opposed to effort to walk in step with him, to fight against our sin, to fight for our spiritual growth and maturity. Heard it it this way one time, God's grace is a stimulant, not a sedative. God's grace is a stimulant, not a sedative. If your understanding of God's grace is that it leads you to this passive life where you get to just kind of do whatever you want to do, you have no idea what God's grace is. You have no, if you see God's grace as a license to sin, you have no idea what God's grace is. You have no idea what God is truly about. No, we do not earn our salvation without good works. but we do work out our salvation we don't work for our salvation. we do work out our salvation by following Him and walking in step with Him. That is what God's grace actually empowers us to do. If your understanding of God's grace leads you to a life lacking discipline, lacking spiritual discipline, you have confused grace, or you have been confused, um, and you're, you're interpreting what is really your flesh and the desires of your flesh and your sinful desires. As God's grace, and this is what we should turn away from. If you're familiar with the book of Daniel, uh, you know how Daniel's enemies got over on him, right? They were like, "Man, we really don't like Daniel. He's always worshiping God. Like, you know how we'll get him? You know how we'll get him in trouble with the king? We got it. We'll tell the king make it illegal to pray to anybody other than you, because we know Daniel's gonna be praying three times a day at the same time all the time, and we know we'll get him that way. He's so new." He he so disciplined himself, so consistently praying in the same way over and over again that his enemies was like, the way we get him is somehow make prayer a bad thing, and we got him because of how disciplined he was in his prayer life. God calls us to live lives of discipline. If that's a new concept for you, I'm gonna run through a few verses, i them pretty quickly. Main point I'm, I'm trying to just communicate is that uh, discipline towards godliness is a very godly thing. It's so what we're gonna be pushing throughout this series. Proverbs chapter 5, 12 through 14. And you say, How I hated discipline, and my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. This is the result, verse 14. I am at the brink of utter ruin. In the assembled congregation, Proverbs 5, 22 through 23, the iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of sin, he dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. Proverbs 12, 1, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge. Proverbs get real blunt with you, just let you know, but he who hates reproof is stupid. Reproof is a correction, but he who hates reproof is stupid. Didn't know the Bible said stupid, personally, so that one. Paul, when he is describing the way he, the way he views his, his, his ministry as an apostle and how he should live in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27. But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others I myself should be disqualified. He says, I, I discipline myself. This is a practice that Paul has. He disciplines himself. He doesn't let his body run him, but rather he's led by the Holy Spirit. Hebrews 12, 6 through 8. Talks about how God actively disciplines us. Verse 6 For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Part of the problem is anytime someone tries to discipline us, tries to correct us, tries to call us to, to step up in some ways in our pursuit of holiness, we see it as an attack. So we get defensive, right? Only time somebody gets defensive is if they feel attacked. If we get defensive anytime somebody tries to push us toward holiness, every time somebody tries to call us out for anything, it's because we, we, we fundamentally believe. That correction and discipline is an attack on us. And Hebrews, the author of Hebrews says, no, 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 no. He's treating you as a son. This is a loving act. Discipline is a loving thing that God, he both uh, disciplines us and calls us to be disciplined. This is a loving thing. And here's why he does it. Verse 11. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. It yields fruit to those who have been trained by it. Hear me on this one. Godly, um, discipline towards godliness is a good and godly thing. It is a powerful thing that God uses for his purposes. When we reject discipline, we reject something that's very near to God's heart that he uses to grow and strengthen us as his people. We hate discipline because of our flesh right? We want to do whatever we want to do. Our own sinful desires are at war with with this movement towards discipline and walking in step with the Spirit. The flesh, the enemy, the world around us have caused us to forget that God's desire to discipline us is an act of love. It is a loving thing. It is a good thing when God corrects us via speaking to us through the Holy Spirit, speaking to us through his Word, via sending somebody to us to correct us and challenge us. That is God's love at work in your life. I'm going to say that again. When a believer that is seeking to walk in step with the Spirit comes to you to call you out on something, to point out error, to call you towards growth and repentance, that is God's love made manifest in your life. That is a loving Father coming after you and saying, I see you straying and I'm calling you back because I love you. That is a loving father saying, I am coming after you. You are turning away. I'm coming after you. I'm not going to stop coming after you. I want your heart to be with me. So I am coming for you. This is God's discipline. He calls us to be disciplined. We are to seek to discipline ourselves. We are to accept his discipline of us. We can't try to push so hard and fight back against legalism that we reject discipline, that we reject the, the need for us to follow the commands that God gives us. Accepting discipline is a part of pursuing spiritual growth and health, it's a part of walking in step with the Holy Spirit. I'm not sure how many of you guys are familiar with Corey Tin Boone's story. Uh, so she was alive during the, uh, during the Holocaust. Earlier, earlier in her day, uh, or earlier when she, when she was younger, um, in, in, in some of her writings, she talks about the faithfulness of her dad, that she, she always would see her dad, I believe she talks about daily, spending time in God's word. They served faithfully uh, in the church. They were, they were extremely hospitable people. They, they were frequently welcoming those who were, who were needy into their home, into their church, very consistently. Eventually, as Jews were trying to pursue freedom uh, during the Holocaust, I think word got around that this, that this family, this Dutch family, was were welcoming Jews into their homes. Obviously, it's a very dangerous thing for them to do, but word got around, so Jews just started running to their house. Eventually, they get uh, arrested, Cora Ten Boom, her dad, her sister, they end up getting arrested. Uh, her dad, uh, who was getting older after he was arrested, because, they were so, because he was so old, they were going to, to let him go. And they said, hey, we, we were actually, we'll, we'll let you go back home. Your, your, your health is declining. We'll let you do that. Uh, it, all you have to do is let us know that you won't uh, welcome any Jews in anymore. He looked at them and he said, if I go home today and tomorrow a Jew comes to my door, I'm not turning them away. He said, if tomorrow a Jew shows up at my door, I am not turning them away to the people who had imprisoned him. These are vicious, violent people that he is saying this to. The level of strength that he has to be able to say that in the face of death, basically. I believe we all want to be able to walk in that type of power. But none of us want to live the lives of discipline that got him to that point. He was always walking in hospitality. Hospitality. He was consistently spending time in God's word. He had had been growing. This this is cultivated over time, over years and years and years. By this time, he is an old man and he is unshakable. He's like a tree that is planted by the rivers of water. He is going to bear his fruit come the heat. You can bring the rain. You can bring whatever you're going to bring. This tree will bear fruit because it is planted by the streams of water. We all want the power, but we don't want the discipline. We all want the power. We, we We don't want the practice I used to work as a um, as a personal trainer um, right after I graduated from college. Um, I used to get this all the time. It would be people would let me. We talk about okay, what are your goals? You know, what are, what are your fitness goals? What do you want to pursue? And at the end of the fitness goals, I'm like, all right, so you want to be an elite? You want to you want to look like an elite level athlete? Okay, let's talk about what that's going to look like. And it's like it's like everybody wants to everybody wants to look like an elite level athlete. Nobody wants to train like an elite level athlete, right? Right? Like, everybody want to look like one. Don't nobody want to train like one? Don't nobody want to eat like one? Don't nobody want to practice like one? We just want to look like one. We, we, we have come to disdain the process. We have come to hate the process. Our world is like everything quick. Like, boom, microwave. Me and my wife bought an Instapot not too long ago. Y'all yeah, need to chill out. Me and my wife, bought, my, my wife bought an Instapot not too long ago. Uh, we, we were so used to getting everything fast. But look at how God describes this in the Bible. In the Old Testament, a tree planted by the streams. You know how long it takes for a tree to grow? You know how long it takes for a tree to grow before it produces fruit? Then same thing in the New Testament. We see these agricultural references over and over again. The fruit of the Spirit. We want to have the power without the practice. We want to get swole, but we want to skip leg day. Am I right? (laughs) Let's get people coming into the gym. All kinds of just like aggressive fitness goals. It's like, all right, how often can you come here? I was like, I'm thinking three times a week for 30 minutes. And I'm like, I used to tell people, I was like, listen, we work hard. We don't work miracles up in here. All right, like we work hard. We do not work miracles up in here. Guys come in, yeah, I want, I want to be able to bench 300 pounds, but don't, don't, want, to, don't want to commit to the, to, to, to the form, to the nutrition, to, to the practice, to the steady growth, the pain and the difficulty, the discipline that comes with that. Don't want to commit to it. We want the power. We don't want the practice. Here's what God says about that. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 and 8. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. He's saying it, it, you're making a mock of God if you think you're going to sow to the flesh and reap the fruit of the spirit. Is what he's saying. Don't, God is not mocked. Don't, do not deceive yourselves. Don't, don't, don't play yourself is what Paul is saying here. Verse 8. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. God is not mocked. You're not going to sit here and sow to your flesh all day long and think you're going to be walking in this type of of, of spiritual fruit and power to to bear fruit in all seasons if what you do is sow to the flesh. He said, God is not mocked. You're not pulling a fast one over on God. It is not going to work that way. Don't be deceived. Don't deceive yourselves. You want spiritual fruit? so to the spirit and walk in step with him. We all want the flourishing spiritual lives, lives but are, is our, are our lives set up to get us there? To help us analyze kind of our actions and kind of how we're going about, are we actually truly pursuing this type of life that we all desire? We came up with this little, with this graph or this diagram, a biblical framework. Uh, for habit, so this is this is what we're trying to do. We we're asking ourselves, okay, how do we how do we look like this? We want to be sown to the spirit. We don't want to be sown to the flesh, right? So we look at some things. It's like, okay, boom, prayer. Okay, that's going to be sown to the spirit, right? Uh, lust, gluttony. Okay, that's going to be sown to the flesh. Well, what about watching TV, right? And I'm like, that depends. Right? Depends on probably how you watch it, how, how much you watch it, what you're actually watching, what's going on in your mind and your heart while you watch it. There's probably some diagnostic questions that we need to ask before we're going to actually uh, be able to know. So it's like, okay, that falls in. it. Depends. Hanging out with friends? Depends. Depends on what you're doing, what your conversation is like. Even if you're hanging out with Christians, like, is it gossip? Are we, are we pushing each other towards the Lord? Like, it's just like, it, it, it depends on how we navigate through some of the. Uh, habits that we have and, and how we spend a lot of our free time. Social media. Could be good, could be bad depending on how you use it. And then as pastors we kind of asked ourselves from what we have seen from our people, how do we often see our people setting up their lives? Like, What, what are the patterns that we see? Um, and this next diagram is I think what we see with many of us is Okay, I got a few things where I know I'm sowing to the flesh. I know I'm wrong. I'm working on that. I'm trying to get better about that. And we got a few things that we're doing when we're sowing to the spirit. It's like, yeah, I come to Sunday worship gatherings at Midtown. Yeah, I come to my life group stuff when I can, And 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 we talk about the Lord. And, you know, I try to pray before I eat food a lot of the time. And then we see the vast majority of things that we spend our free time doing in this it depends category. And this is, a, uh, this is a one that we gotta be, we got to consistently be mindful of because it's like, you're on Facebook. Anybody going to tell you you send it for just having a Facebook account, right? Anybody going to tell you send it you it because you watched a TV show, right? So, so we, we oftentimes fill our lives with these habits that kind of are, it depends. TV, music, social media, hanging out with friends, might be good for you spiritually, might not. And our lives look like this. And we wonder why we don't experience the type of supernatural power that the Bible talks about. I'll say it again because it was quiet. (laughs) Our lives look like this, and we wonder why. It's like um, you have a plant that you're trying to get to bear fruit, and you barely water it, and you wonder why it's not bearing fruit. And you wonder why it has no fruit. You're barely watering it. You're barely watering it at all. we're not practicing living a spiritually healthy life, we're not practicing things that we'll, that we'll get to later on uh, in this series, like fasting, spending time in meditation on God's Word, spending time in prayer, and things that are intentionally moving us and helping us to sow towards the Spirit. We're not practicing these things. How could we expect anything different? I'm trying, Leslie. A farmer that receives a good harvest... And has plants that bear fruit, is disciplined. He or she that gets up whenever they need to. If they need to get up early in the morning, they get up early in the morning. Right Again, agricultural society, they understand farming. Right. If a farmer wants to bear fruit, he's probably getting up early in the morning, working hard. If he feels like doing it, if he doesn't feel like doing it, the farmer, he or she, whoever it is, is going to do it if they are expecting to bear fruit. They do the work of practicing discipline when they want to, when they don't want to. And if they trust God, then they pray and beg of him to bring rain to make it grow. They practice, they hustle, they work hard, they discipline themselves, and then if they trust God, they pray and beg of him to make it grow. God, bring the, open up heaven. Open up the heavens and bring the rain so that this fruit will be produced. That's what the farmer would do. They work hard and pray hard, that God would bring the rain so they can have the fruit of their labor. Discipline ourselves spiritually is necessary if we're going to walk in the power that the Holy Spirit gives us. We're going to have any chance of producing the fruit of the Spirit. Being disciplined enough to walk in step with him is vital for us. Christ has come to us. He lived a perfect life like I was saying earlier. He, he, he demonstrated who he was through his healing. He died. He was resurrected. He said, I am the resurrection and the life, the, the, the curses of sin. He, he has come to undo it. I want to encourage a believer that feels defeated, that feels like they're not growing, that feels like they cannot grow, that feels like they will not grow. And I want to, I want to, just, I want to just press on you. You have enough faith in God to believe that he can change you, that he is powerful enough to work in your life. There are things in your life, you, uh, for many of us, we just accept it. We just accept it. This is just the way it is. I'm not going to grow in this. I, I, I'm sharp with my tongue. It's just the way that it is. It's my personality. It's the way it's going to be. Jesus said I, he is coming in. He is reversing the curse. He left. He sent his Holy Spirit. He said, I'm coming back to get rid of everything that's saying they wrong. I'm coming back to get rid of that. In the meantime, you walk in step with the Holy Spirit and watch him produce the fruit of the Spirit in your life. When he was, resur- when he was resurrected from the grave, he showed that he broke the power of the curse for his people. He offers us the ability to walk in that I want to encourage us obviously as we go through this series we'll go over different ways that we can walk in discipline and be disciplined in the pursuit of spiritual health. Uh, I'm going to pray for us and then I'll transition as we partake in communion today Lord we we need your strength Lord if we're going to walk in step with, the, with your spirit we need your spirit to give us the strength even to do that we ask for you to move in our hearts Lord for, for, for those of us who are apathetic towards this who can, who can read through the Bible, see what you call us to, see what you have for us, and just remain apathetic and just remain. I, I don't really care enough to make any changes in my life to pursue this, Lord. I, I pray you would rid us of our sleep. I pray that you would bother us, that you would stay on us, that you would not let us just, just, just kind of drift into this complacency, into this apathy, Lord, but that you would give us a zeal, that you would give us a passion and a desire to pursue you relentlessly. Lord, however you want to change and rearrange our lives so that we will be disciplined in our pursuit of you, i ask mean, that you will just go ahead and do that in our lives. That you will go ahead and draw us to repentance. That you will go ahead and, and whet our appetites, Lord, with a desire to know you more, with a desire to walk in step with you more than we ever have. Lord, I pray for hope for anybody in the room who just feels hopeless and defeated in their Christian, in their Christian walk. They just feel like there's, there's, there's going to be no growth. There's going to be no supernatural fruit produced in their lives. And I pray for renewed hope and vision for them. And, Lord, and for the one who hasn't even considered, who doesn't even take the time to think about how they're doing spiritually, would you wake us up? Would you wake us up through the power of your Spirit, Lord? That our, that our chief end in life would be to know you more, to walk more in step with your Spirit, to live as you have called us to live. Lord, prevent all the things that distract us from that. Would you allow us to hold those things with an open hand and let them go if you tell us to? Lord, for some of us, if we need to wake up earlier so that we can pursue you, I pray you would convict our hearts and burden us to do that. Lord, any changes that you would have for us to make, would you bring that about in our hearts through your spirit? It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.